Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 211, recorded July 25th, 2015. So as promised, we're continuing our Star Trek DC Comics Volume 1 run. Skipping issues 7 and 8 because we covered those way back in episode 25. So if you want to find out what happens in those, go back into your catalog and and find that episode and and give it a listen. It gave a short explanation as to where Savick came from. And then there was a little side story where uh, Savick was going through Ponfar and needed to mate with her betrothed, which was uh, Zahn. You remember Zahn from... He was going to be the Spock replacement for Star Trek The Motion Picture. So yeah. for whatever reason, they, they thought they would use him again. That's interesting. Despite them... I mean, that's the guy that got killed in the transport, right? Right, exactly. In that. But then but then he he was alive. Yeah, I don't know how he was alive in these issues if he, if he died <laughs> in the transport. Oh, uh, well, I don't <laughs> think he was... He wasn't Zahn in the transporter, but it was the same actor. That's what it was. Oh. I don't okay. remember. I don't okay, remember. whatever. That's fine. That's fine. But regardless, uh, that, that's what happened in uh, 7 and 8. And then the adventures of Star Trek Three: the motion picture, took place. And uh, now we're reading issue number 9, which takes right. place immediately after that movie. Which is really interesting. So uh, these are definitely – the story's wedged itself in there. Right. So it's kind of interesting how it's – Trying to tell an untold story between the third and fourth Taz movies. Uh, there's even bits of it that kind of overlap with four, I think. But, uh, or it kind of seems like it is because it takes place on Vulcan. But um, I, I just find it very interesting how uh, Mike Barr was able to get this to work. Right. Yeah, and what's interesting is that, you know, at this time when this came out, there was no Star Trek four, So they had no idea what was going to happen in the fourth movie. Because, you know, Paramount probably didn't even know what they were going to do. They probably definitely weren't thinking, we're going to do whales. <laughs> no, not that part. However, there are pl- there are spots in this comic that are just like Star Trek Four, Exactly like Star Trek Four. As a matter of fact, when I was reading it, it was like, wow, this is just like Star Trek Four at the beginning of it when they were on Vulcan. Right. So... Um, they may not have known what they were do what exactly what they were going to do for. I mean, of course they knew what they were going to do for four. They may have not had the full script worked out, but there are parts in this book where I thought it was basically going over the beginning of four. But well, I think I think the things that that carry that that are mirrored. Um, I mean, it's like the, that's the only thing that could happen based on what how Star Trek three ended. Well, oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, so they're on Vulcan, they've got the Klingon ship, you know, they're talking with Sarek and everything, and, you know. Okay, it just seemed just like the beginning of Star right. Trek IV. No, I agree. So, so before we uh, recorded this, I went back and I uh, 
read through uh, Star Trek Three comic adaption just to kind of see if there was any explanation or any like kind of hint as to what happened to Bear Claw and oh. all the other people because you know obviously they're not in Star Trek Three. And if they were still on the Enterprise, uh, they're all dead now because the only people who made it off the Enterprise was the main cast. Right. And we know from the movie, those are the only people that were on the ship. Automation right, took care of the rest like of it. Right, a skeleton crew. And, right. Yeah. And, yeah. So, uh, obviously, there was no mention. And, in fact, in Star Trek Three, the novelization, the, the adaption, they... It's implied that it's taking place immediately after Star Trek Two because they're still, you know repairing the damage mm-hmm. or they say they're repairing damage and you assume that it was from the con battle right so uh yeah it makes it even harder for those first eight issues to have really taken place because <laughs> because the enterprise seemed to be in pretty good shape in those eight issues right yep so i even went back and reread seven and eight just to see if it would be cool if the enterprise takes some major damage in seven and eight and then uh, then that would kind of, at least in the comic book continuity, there was another big battle that the Enterprise took damage in. That That's what they're licking their wounds and heading back to Earth from instead of the Khan battle. But right. uh, Savick did attack the Enterprise a little bit in 8, but uh, she didn't damage it all that bad. So. <laughs> right. I, couldn't quite, I couldn't quite get everything to mesh like I wanted it to. Exactly. And a lot of times... The meshing isn't perfect, but they, they yeah. do an okay job. Yeah, I'm just going to squint my eyes and pretend like it all matches. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, you want to go ahead and get into uh, issue nine then? Please, let's do. All right. So this is entitled New Frontiers, Chapter 1, Promises to Keep. It has a uh, cover date of... December of 1984. The writer was Mike W. Barr. Artist was Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagrin. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Michelle Wolfman. Editor, Marv Wolfman. So the cover shows uh, the new title of the book. So in giant font, it says Star Trek New Frontiers. So it almost makes you think that they rebranded the, the, the book. The uh, the picture on the cover shows the main crew of the Enterprise, including a youngish-looking Spock, Chekhov, Ahura, Kirk, Sulu, Scotty, uh, a very young-looking Savick, Carol Marcus is there, and Dr. McCoy. And behind them, we see a green-colored sky with a space station revolving around a planet. And everything has a green tint to it back there. So the story starts with Spock waking up in his bed, wearing the white robe we saw him wearing at the end of Star Trek Three. The Enterprise crew bid farewell because they are leaving Vulcan to face the punishment for their actions in the third movie. Taking the bird of prey they captured from Kerg, they head out with a short stopover at Starbase Regula 1. On Earth, Captain Stiles of the Excelsior is tasked with finding Kirk and bringing him back to Earth. After the humiliation in the last movie, he is all too eager. At regular one, Kirk meets with Carol Marcus, but she just hits him and blames him for winning by taking David away from her. Then she storms off. 
While memorial preparations for David are being made, the crew is enjoying some R&R. Perhaps the last they will have in a long time once they reach Earth and find out what their punishments will be. Later, McCoy is able to get Carol to agree to come to the memorial. Once there, they find that it has already started, and Kirk is giving a touching speech about the death of his son. Carol seems to forgive him, and the two embrace. We suddenly flash to the bridge of the Enterprise. Kirk is communicating with Marcus over the comm. She tells him that she has the data he needs. He tells her that this is the first time that she did not disappoint him. Once Savick and Spock confirm the data is what they need, Kirk orders the destruction of Regula 1, and the Enterprise flies away from the rubble. Kirk tells the crew that they are at last going to have the revenge that they've been planning for the last 15 years. They can now cross over to the other dimension. As the camera pulls back, we see that the normal Starfleet badges on their uniforms are actually swords, and Spock has an evil-looking beard. To be continued. <laughs> that was a pretty jarring shift into the B story, eh? Yeah, I was really confused at first, because I thought this was some sort of flashback, but it wasn't quite what they were saying in Star Trek Two or anything, so... Right. Yeah, no, they did a, a good job uh, trying to get you to figure out what was going on. Exactly. They led you well down the rosy path of thinking one thing, and then, surprise! It's Mirror Universe time, yay! Right, because they, they did a good job of every time they showed Spock his lower half of his face was covered so you could right. never see the beard exactly. and they never showed the actual uh badges so everything was right. kind of cut right at their necks or their backs right and, and you didn't see the sashes around their waist or that kind of stuff right or that ahura and savik are wearing those midriff shirts Sex, sexa things that's right <laughs> no it's quite good so uh, also was kind of good to see the conversation with Kirk and Carol. I mean, the real one, our real A-universe people, and just reconciling about that. So that was something that was uh, droned on a bit in this issue, but you know, it's, it's kind of interesting seeing that, uh, that done. And then the schmaltzy uh, words of Kirk. So that was, it was kind of good to see some of those things. Right, right. They could go more into that bit. Yeah, no, I mean, because... I mean, he did, they did lose their son. That's pretty tough. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. And everybody's reaction seemed believable. I mean, um, Carol just wailing on him, blaming him. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah, I could totally For everything. It. Right. <laughs> and then Kirk just taking it. Saying, yeah. It's the Klingons. It's not me. It's a Klingon. Anyway. <laughs> and then I even, you know, I, you know, there was, I, I kind of cut, cut through it pretty quick, but there's this whole long scene where, Sulu and Ahura are singing and looking at flowers and, you know, kind of living it up. Right. All because, you know, they know that this really could be the last time that they would even have this opportunity because who, who knows what their punishment's going to be when they get back home. Exactly. So uh, I, I thought it was all well done. Yeah. Yep, quite well. So uh, I kind of like McCoy's big blue medical tricorder that he uses on Spock. Uh, yeah, the one that looks like a book. It, it, book? It looks big. You know, it looks like, uh, I don't know what it looks like. It's kind of, it's irregularly shaped and stuff. So that's a Klingon medical scanner? Is that what that is? Oh, is that what that's supposed to be? I, well, don't, know. I don't know. Because that's obviously not Starfleet issue. I mean, you know, the little salt and pepper shaker, 
McCoy normally uses to to pass over people's heads and stuff is like a really long tube, like probably about the length of like a good sized toothpaste <laughs> tube, and then of course the irregular shaped big blue thing. It's either Klingon stuff that he was able to get off the Klingon ship, or is it like a Federation, you know, non-military consumer scanner? I don't know. But that or, does not... Or maybe it's a Vulcan thing. Who knows? That he just got a Vulcan one. While they okay. were there. I don't know. Okay, well... But yeah, Vulcan... it's huge. It has a, I mean, he, he's having to hold it with an arm strap. It's that big. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> right. I mean, the whole thing looks like Russian surplus or something. I don't know, but it looks kind of big. And, and so colorfully blue. It's just lovely. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Yeah. But what I did notice is that on that first page, when yeah. uh, it just shows Spock laying in bed. Right. It looks like Batman. Why is he being visited by Batman? <laughs> the shadow completely looks like Batman. Yeah, there's a, there's a Batman shadow across his chest and asking... Uh, you know, do you remember who your friends are? And he's saying McCoy, Savick, and the third is Jim. Right. But it looks like Batman. It's so funny. Yeah. And so it's actually the Elder, right? Right. Talar or whatever. Right. Yeah, and I keep looking at her headdress, which does have two little pointy things that come out of her uh, the front of her forehead. But right. I don't see how any light source on that thing could create the uh, the Batman logo on on. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It's funny when they slip in those subliminal ads into comic books. It's funny. <laughs> you think that's what it was? Oh, completely. Bye, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a subliminal Batman ad. Come on. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah. So, Spock's mom, Amanda, is really grateful to Kirk and company for saving Spock, huh? Anything uh, you want. I mean, she seems ready to give him the family Winnebago. I mean, she's just like, anything. You can take anything from us. I didn't get that, but... Well, she said. She said anything we have is yours, yeah. Exactly, yeah, right. No, Admiral. You saved our son. Anything we can do, anything we have is yours. It's like, boy, she's really appreciative. Wouldn't you be? Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh... <laughs> Sarek's like, uh... Okay, yeah, we're very happy, but uh, maybe we're not going to give you anything. <laughs> She's a little emotional, okay? She's a little emotional. Exactly. We're going to keep the Winnebago, but thank you for saving our son. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of interesting how they had the retro rockets going underneath the Klingon bird of prey to take off. So Is, I, is that how it works? You know, I hope not. I thought it was more like anti-gravity engines or something. But, you know. Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen Star Trek IV. Yeah, but I think it just lifts off. I think it just lifts off. I don't think there's any gold key style rockets coming out the bottom. Right. Uh, but there kind of is here. Well, you don't see the rockets, but they do call them retro thrusters. So Yeah. And there is a lot of dust and stuff. There, you're right about that. Yeah, um, there is no flame under it. You're right. Activate retro thrusters. Right. But yeah, in part four, there's definitely none of that because uh, otherwise Central Park would, would be all burnt up every time they <laughs> took off. Exactly. They go save those whales. You're right. So they show a three-dimensional chessboard, which I thought was a bit off. Yeah, it's a, it's a different style. I'm not used right. to that one. So that was uh, what Savic and Scotty are playing. Right. And... Um, 
there's a lot more little platforms, and the platforms seem really small, like they'd only be able to hold on to like one chess piece. One piece, right. Mostly. I think there was one that maybe you could fit for, maybe. But then I went and looked at some old original Taz ones, and, you know, they've got like maybe four platforms, and some of the platforms look like they can hold maybe as many as 12 different pieces. So uh, this one, anyway, it looked like a new design. Right. Agreed. That looked nice. I just seemed to be a diff- almost a different game. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Yeah. So speaking of uh, a different design, uh, Savick does not look like Robin Curtis or Christy Alley. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think if I had to say who, she, I think she looks more like Robin Curtis than Christy Alley, but you're right. Oh, really? I was going to say she looked more like Christy Alley than Robin <laughs> Curtis, but really <laughs> not like either one. Exactly. I mean, well, if you had to say who it, who she looked more like. Yeah, you're right. So when this was produced, did Robin Curtis have the role? Yeah, because Star Trek Three, that was, that was introducing oh, Robin that's right. Curtis as that's Lieutenant right. Savick. I'm sorry. So this should not have had, this shouldn't have looked nothing like Kirstie Alley, whatever. Right. Shouldn't. Right. Okay, so this is something that just occurred to me. At the end, when they're blowing up regular one, it's like, wouldn't there be less expensive ways to kill Carol Marcus? You know, and maybe your closest assistance than destroying an expensive space station? Right. I mean, isn't it, does that seem kind of wasteful to you? To me it does. It's spectacular, mind you. But, you know, hey, we're going to destroy an entire space station. I don't know. It just seems a bit expensive. Well, that's how you know they're evil. <laughs> Their disregard for monetary stuff? Yeah, there you go. I thought that they were just trying to invoke the same thing that uh, the, the Kirk scene in Star Trek Three when he gets the plans for Genesis from his, I guess, his lover or whatever. And then she admits that she read it. And then he, like... How that's... unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. So I was thinking that that was kind of what they were doing because that, uh, that he got the information he needed. Yeah, exactly. He knows that they have it too, so he's going to kill them. He wants to make sure no one, no one, and they're not going to bother actually going over there and like killing the people or wiping the databanks. No, right. they're just going to destroy the whole place. Destroy the whole place. Uh, there you go. Okay. So I got a question. Yes. I, I, at first, I thought, well, it makes total sense to have David's memorial there on regular one because, you know, that's where his friends were. They, 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 uh, you know, obviously he knew people because he he lived and worked there for so long. But then I remembered that in Star Trek Two, does, doesn't Khan kill everybody that was there? I mean, they only um, he kill. I think you're right. I mean. And if there was any, he, like, strung them up and stuff, right? Right, and shoved them into, like, you know, compartments and stuff. Horrible stuff. Like, almost horror-type, right. villainy-type stuff to them. Because they were right. finding bodies everywhere. Right. That's um, right. And then I thought Carol Marcus and David might have been the only two that lived because they were down on the, um, in the caverns. Right. That, Kirk, that Khan didn't know about. Good point. Good continuity point. But I guess... Yeah, and I I don't know. I guess I never really thought about what Carol Marcus did after the events of Star Trek Two, but for whatever reason, I didn't think they should go back to working on that space station. But I guess right. it does make sense. 
Well, if she's going to continue to work on the Genesis project, but doesn't this kind of show it was kind of a dangerous thing? I mean, this is like one of those, um, it's like the transwarp beaming uh, in the new movies. It's like, there's a lot of ramifications with this whole thing. What are you going to do with it? Well, let's completely ignore it from now on. <laughs> I mean, because now you have the ability to wipe out a planet. You still got it, right? Mm-hmm. Wipe out a planet, negative, or create a living uh, biosphere from bare rock. Either way, I think you would be continuing, well, on the good side. You know, I think you continue with that project, but you never hear about it again. Well, you're doing some of the expanded universe stuff. Well, you're okay, but in the, main, in the, in the films. main films, TV shows, whatever. And quite frankly, we're going to hear about it again in the not-too-distant future. It's like every villain wants to get their hands on a Genesis device. It's amazing. And why wouldn't you? It's, uh, it's the ultimate uh, trump card. There you go. Well, I guess so. And anyway, you can the... create brand new planets and bring back the dead? Nah! Well, exactly. The bring back the dead part. That's even more so one of those. You brought up something really potentially problematic in one of your Star Trek movies, and you completely ignore it in the future. Right. But every time you bring back one person... You know, it does cost you a whole nebula. Eventually, you'd probably run out of nebulas to create new Genesis planets. I no? don't understand that. What? Well, they only created cost the you Genesis a nebula? planet. Well, he he launched the Genesis device within that nebula, which then created the Genesis planet, Khan, um, which is the only way they were able to bring back Spock. So, if if they had to create that same series of events every time they wanted to bring people back from the dead they would run run out of nebulas oh, there you, okay and i never knew that nebulas had to be in the mix because well, that whole that whole videotape thing or something that uh that kirk was explaining the whole thing and they had those graphics where the genesis device right. just you know just put it on a, a lifeless world flick the switch and boom you've got a biosphere it didn't seem like it needed a nebula well that doesn't but when con destroyed it while he you know when the reliant was taking all that damage they were just in a nebula there was no planet there right i always thought they just formed that whole planet the whole planet was 100 percent newly formed. created oh yeah good you know i gotta go back and look at that again that's a very good point and i thought well maybe that was the reason why because it was a planet 100 percent formed by the genesis device that it was able to somehow resurrect Spock, but who knows? Maybe you could just launch it onto a moon and then throw in a couple of dead bodies and then... <laughs> Voila! <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you probably want to let it let it ignite, start, uh, completely decimate the, the surface of the lifeless world, begin to make like a biosphere, and then put the dead bodies up. Right, and then just chunk a whole bunch of torpedo tube co- coffins. <laughs> Hope for the exactly. best. Exactly. You know, now... They never acknowledged it, but okay. So Kirk never thought of that possibility. Apparently when he, not. When he launched the the dead body there. Exactly. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> he seems surprised later, but um, anyway. Anyways, we're splitting hairs here. We are, and I'm done with my comments on this one. I think I'll save some of my comments for later. It's more of why everybody from the mirror universe would still be together. After what we did see in that one episode. 
Right. Seemed like there would probably be some bad blood. Completely. Hello. But I did love seeing Rand in that final shot of the ISS Enterprise. Oh, is that Rand? You know that's yeah. Rand? Uh, okay. Or is that supposed to be Carol Marcus? I, who, who knows? It looks like Rand. It's a blonde lady. Right. It would make more sense. No, it can't be Carol Marcus because she just blew up on regular one. No. I, I was thinking that it was, it was, uh, was Rand. I, I don't know who she is, but why doesn't she have the sexy outfit like uh, uh, that was what like I was Uhura? Ask. <laughs> yeah, so she's got the full guy one that covers everything. Yeah, so right. I don't know. Who knows? And who is she anyway? So let's let, let's I'm, let, let's call her Rand. Let's I'm go with that. Rand. I do that. All right, you want to go on to ten? Please. Okay, so we get to continue on our mirror universe story. And this is issue number 10. It's got a published date of January 1985. Same production people, so I'm not going to say it again. The title is Double Image. The cover shows Mirror Universe Kirk, Spock, Sulu, and McCoy getting ready to kill our universe's Kirk and crew on some version of what looks like the Enterprise Bridge, but who knows. A text box says, Return of the Mirror Menace. The story opens with Mirror Universe Kirk and his refit Enterprise deploying shuttlecraft with warp sleds attached. They're preparing to enter the parallel dimension. Evil Kirk says he has been waiting 15 years to plunder that peace-loving Federation. They use the two shuttles and the Enterprise transporters to set up the same conditions that brought that alternate Kirk and members of his crew to the Empire's dimension. They pass into our dimension, and the evil Enterprise goes on a little hunting expedition. Meanwhile, Captain Stiles, commanding the Excelsior, is closing in on a regular station, and orders Helm to increase speed to warp 15! He is looking forward to meeting Jim Kirk and his crew again. Carol and Jim have a moment together, after they hear Excelsior is on its way to regular one. Meanwhile, on Vulcan... Spock is having a hard time quieting the madness as his Katra attempts to settle into his replacement host's body. The Excelsior takes the Klingon ship into tow. Captain Stiles takes Kirk and his bridge crew on board with smugness and payback as his goal. Kirk and Scotty bear the brunt of it. Carol says her goodbyes to Kirk and others. Excelsior departs. Meanwhile, the evil Enterprise closes in on their first kill, a space station to which they are all familiar. Meanwhile, Konam, Bearclaw, and a blonde crew member woman are in Starbase 13 having a drink and biding their time. They do not know the fate of the Enterprise or the crew for sure. Bryce is filling in for a sick crewman in one of the space station's data centers. While there, a computer breach is detected and stopped. The station's Commodore Garrett orders a nearby Reliant-class ship named Courageous to investigate the source of the breach, which is originating outside of the station. On board the Evil Enterprise, on board the Evil Enterprise, Spock reports an approaching ship and recommends raising shields. Kirk says they have a far greater weapon on their side: trust. 
Ahura hails the courageous and acts like one big happy Starfleet, kind of like Khan did. The courageous is baited in and fired upon. With half of the crew dead and one nacelle utterly destroyed, Evil Kirk orders them on to the station. On the station, Commodore Garrett is informed they lost contact with the courageous. The Commodore is smart enough to order the station to red alert. Evil Spock informs Kirk the station raised their shields, so he can no longer attempt to breach their computer. Kirk orders the station engine room located and to be fired upon. The station deploys small, fast-moving defensive ships, armed with phasers. The captain of the Courageous comes to, with most of her bridge crew dead, and the ship in flames. Comms are still up, so she raises the alarm to the station and all ships in the area. The Excelsior receives the alarm, and Stiles orders course change to Starbase 13. He asks Kirk to the bridge to see how a real captain handles an emergency. Evil Kirk uses an unlikely ploy involving extending the ship's shields with an antimatter charge to take out the defensive ships buzzing around the Enterprise. Spock detects a ship coming their way at warp 17! Since the ship is faster than they are, Spock offers the assessment they may also outgun them. They engage their cloaking device. Stiles notices them going to cloak. He orders a tracing field to be activated that displays a Constitution-class ship dead ahead despite the cloak. Gloating, Stiles orders them to open fire. The evil Enterprise takes damage. Realizing the cloak is useless against this advanced ship, evil Kirk and Spock come up with an idea of tapping into the Klingon ship's control console and having it fire on the Excelsior from inside their shields. Stiles is told the communication beam is aimed at them. Kirk wonders what it could be while Stiles ignores the new data, confident that he has won. Kirk tries to warn Stiles, but he is shut down immediately. Evil Spock has control of the Klingon ship. Kirk orders fire all weapons point-blank at the Excelsior and to assemble boarding parties to the transporter room. Excelsior loses all power, including backups. Damn, they need Scotty in that engine room. Evil Kirk's boarding parties are able to knock out the much larger crew of the Excelsior by activating the Excelsior's internal security systems, likely anesthesine gas. Evil Kirk spares the bridge, the gas, and beams over with a heavily armed assault team. He calls good Kirk brother and says hello. He was not expecting to meet him so soon. All the better. As one of Evil Kirk's security people shoots one of Captain Stiles' bridge officers, Evil Kirk says it's fitting that he be here to witness him take over this ship and soon the universe. Cue the evil laughter. To be continued. To be continued. Yes. <laughs> There's the evil laughter I was wanting. Exactly. That's just... I mean, that was like an evil villain ending big time. (laughs) Especially when he says, take over the universe! Which is kind of funny, considering they're only in a galaxy. One galaxy. I mean, come on. The universe? He's going to start with that one galaxy, and then he's going to move on to the others. Oh my gosh. He's got trans-warp drive now with the Excelsior. 
Oh, trans warp drive. Uh, yeah, warp 17. W- were they really inflating warp speeds in the movies at this point like that? I mean, warp 14, warp 17. Eesh. Or is that I a comic know. book thing? I don't remember. I don't know. I mean, that seems really excessive. Right. I think they they didn't, you know, like I said, they didn't do the whole warp 10 threshold until I, I next know generation. That. So I yeah, don't know. I get that, I don't know. but but this is far beyond any speeds I thought they did in the TV show. But right, you know, it's the movie. Everything's bigger and better. <laughs> right. Well, these are fast ships. Well, I guess so. They don't have ground to sell anymore. I think it's the, the because they're they're Flat. angular, more yeah. streamlined. Right. Warp Ooh. seventeen, easy. There you go. They don't look like modern day chemical rockets. Must be it. Exactly. Exactly. I know that you kind of alluded to something fishy about how he used the shields as a weapon, Evil Kirk. Yeah. So. It just seemed a little far-fetched to me. Okay, right. we're going to expand the shields, and let's take a cool word. Uh, let's let's put an antimatter charge on it. Yeah, that, that'll do it. And then uh, anything that touches the shields with the antimatter charge will blow up. It's like, okay. Right. Well, it seemed like it, like radiated out so it's like it created like a, a pulse wave of some sort that i mean you didn't have to actually hit the shields it just it was going to come get you if you were too close yeah, <laughs> yeah i i thought they just expanded the shields but maybe you're right maybe there was there was more to it than that no. uh, okay so maybe by expanding the shields yeah, and it, doing the antimatter it just kind of well engulfed I, anything that was close i thought the antimatter charge was the thing that destroyed stuff uh, and then the shields were expanded to come out to hit the ships that were kind of close. I mm. thought that's what happened. But whatever. The whole thing is a kind of, I don't know. I thought It struck me as a little lame, but fine, whatever. Right. I thought it was kind of cool that the uh, space station actually had fighter ships like that. I call them fighter ships. They never called them fighter ships. But it kind of seems like fighter ships. Bigger than an X-Wing, mind you, but still. It seems <laughs> like fighter ships. Yeah. No, they they were pretty interesting. Yeah. And they seem to have warp sleds, too, or whatever. Everything's got warp sleds. They love warp sleds. It's because the warp the sleds artists. were new at this time. Yeah. Ooh, let's use them. Let's use them everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, but these uh, warp, warp sleds were, like, a little different because it was like the shuttle part would fit underneath the warp sled. Kind of, right, right. Instead uh, of on top of the Star Trek, the motion picture ones. Didn't it kind of look like that? Like, the warp sleds had, like, a little top part that you would just kind of fit the shuttle yeah the, yeah, the shuttle would just, just stick on the top. Well, in, in the case of Spocks... Right, Spocks, yes, but these seem like they would fit underneath. These fighter things. Yeah. It looks to me it? like it's a shuttle on top of the warp sled to me, but I don't know. Uh, let me find some more pictures. But maybe I'm... No, no, no. The, no, you may be right. I'm confusing it with the shuttle warp sleds that they used at the beginning... To transition... Oh, yeah. Definitely those look like... Yeah, blocks. yeah. Yeah, that... Right. My mistake. I'm moving on to... I'm moving forward to where they're actually mounting the defense. Yeah, they look like remote controls or something that was kind of fitted into a, a, a warp sled-looking thing. Yeah. So you think those were automated ships? There weren't people on them? Because you might be right. Oh, I thought there were people know. on them. Oh, okay. Good. Good. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, 
So, yeah, I don't see that many good looks at him, but you're right. Anyway, so, um, you know, shouldn't Deep Space Nine have had that? I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's one thing Star Star Trek always was lacking was some sort of like smaller craft right force. Right. You know, actually, the more I look at this, the more it almost looks a little bit like a Defiant, only with nacelles on the side. Uh, and without that little nose in the front. What, the little the little attack craft? Yeah, I'm talking about the little attack craft. So I finally found a good panel that actually shows them from the back and the front. Oh, yeah, which, which page is that? Page 13 of the comic, page 9 of the PDF. Right. Anyway, the main thing is... I thought that was cool that they had those. I thought it was kind of eh, a little bit of a stretch how Evil Kirk got rid of them. But mm-hmm. I, I, I like the little defensive crafts coming out. Right. Because you really – I mean if you have a space station, do you really want to have to always depend upon there being a starship around? Right, right. Now it's cool that uh, what the Courageous was was in, in range. That's cool. But do you really want that to be your main defense? You know. And it got know. taken out pretty fast. So how much defense was it really? Well, yeah, but and and by the same ploy that Khan used against uh, Kirk and the Enterprise in uh, Wrath of Khan, we're right. all one big happy federation, right, right? You know, we look like them. Let them get close, then then fire on them. But but at least Khan was in a Federation ship. This is a other but, universe which has a different well, sure. paint job. Oh, it, oh, it is real. What is that? Is does it? Is that? USS or ISS? <gasps> oh, like they can see from it's that a range. Ship. Yeah, but I mean, from I mean, from a distance, it's it's identical to uh, the refit Enterprise. Right. They don't have a big old sword on the saucer section like they did in. Uh... On the NX-01. didn't Enterprise? Yeah. Didn't Enterprise have a big old like like sword or something like that on the saucer section? Right. Uh, I don't know if this one does or not. Yeah, I didn't notice it, but okay, well, whatever. Yeah, what's funny is that on this one, it still has the Starfleet swoosh on the the side. It looks a little different, but it is still the Starfleet swoosh. I agree. Which and there's no there's it no sword. sword. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. Oh, maybe they painted it knowing that that's where they were going. Ooh. And maybe. somehow they were like, I bet these refit ones have a big Starfleet swoosh here, so we should paint one. Exactly. Even well, what, we've never seen it. What about the radio ID beacon? I mean, don't the uh, Starfleet ships always ha- all have some kind of a, yeah. an identification beacon? Yeah, they gave its full registry number. Something so that you know that you're not going to fire on one of your own people. But anyway, I'm sure they. And uh, you're just poking holes all into this. I yeah, I guess I do, and I have more of that to poke into in the next issue. That kind of same thing, but with <laughs> uniforms. All right. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So back to the the fighter craft. I think I've mentioned this before, but mm-hmm. uh, but because it's a this is a mirror universe story. Right. Uh, there was a mirror universe video game called Star Trek Shattered Universe. I think it's called. Okay. Um, but what's cool about that is that it's uh, the USS Excelsior uh, with with Captain Sulu finds cool. its way into the mirror universe. Okay. And when it reverts to the mirror universe, all the crew. All the crew of the Excelsior are replaced with all the crew from the evil Excelsior, right? So it's kind of like almost a Star Trek uh, mirror, mirror episode. So the crew is now on this evil Excelsior. 
and they come to find out that all the shuttlecraft have been replaced with fighter craft. Oh. And, and I always thought, I was like, well, that's brilliant. Uh, because that makes sense. And especially if you're evil and you're more into conquest, you would have more fighter craft instead sure. of big bulky shuttlecraft. Right. So in this story, I, I, because that seed was planted and because I'm a big fan of smaller sh- uh, attack craft, mm-hmm. when they started launching shuttlecrafts, I wanted to see the attack craft looking thing. Right. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in our dimension, the uh, starships are supposed to be like defensive, yes, and, and they can protect themselves, but they're supposed to be ships of exploration and commerce or whatever. Right. But they get into scrapes enough. Wouldn't it be handy to at least carry a couple little fighters that you could deploy or something? Right. I mean, I don't want to go all Star Wars and stuff, but, or Battlestar Galactica, or, you know, every other franchise seems to deploy some kind of a fighter craft. I mean, wouldn't it make sense to at least have a few of those? Right. I think I think definitely in Voyager, the um, the Delta Flyer, though it is you know it's this is a capable shuttlecraft. It's also got some teeth to it and pretty fast. So, how about having a few Delta Flyers or something? Right, especially in the reboot movie where it the ship is a lot bigger and they got a bunch of different smaller craft inside of it. How about making a few fighters? Well, maybe we'll see that in the next one. Okay. Yeah, write, write that in there, guys. Oh, did you see the photo, by the way? I, I don't want to take us away from the issues. But did you see the uh, photo of the actors on the Enterprise Bridge of the new movie? No, I have not seen that. Uh, I saw that there was one, but I have not seen that. Yeah, it was for some charity or something. Right. And they were all pointing at it, uh, at the captain's chair, which nobody was in. And I think it was from some charity or something. You know, you give a certain amount of money, and then you get in, put into a drawing to have a walk-on part in the new movie. So it's like, cool, cool. Uh, so it's the normal people who are there, but also, uh, I'm going to get his name completely wrong. The guy that plays Luther right. in the BBC TV series, Adiris Alba or whatever. Right, right. Um, he was in Pacific Rim. He was in a ton of things. Lately, he seems very hot. He might be the next James Bond. Who knows? Um, so, like him, really good actor. Mandel and Thor. Uh, right, exactly. So, right, he was in the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guardian of the the Gateway or whatever. So, anyway, I didn't realize he was going to be on the next uh, Star Trek film. So, there you go. Right. I'm well, out of the loop. When I knew that picture was coming out, uh, I was excited because I wanted to see what he was dressed in. Right, because he's supposed to be this mysterious new bad guy, and I thought, well, this is going to give us a hint. And uh, then I heard that it's just him in normal clothes, and everybody else is in their normal Starfleet clothes, so I never actually looked at it. Right. Yeah, everybody's in normal clothes. There's there's no indication what what he is in it. But he's a good actor, so. Nice, it's going to be good. I hope he plays Khan. Yeah, so, of course, now the big thing is going to be, is he going to be a retread villain, or is he going to be a new villain? Or did they say that? Uh, they haven't said. Okay, well, I hope he's a new one, because I don't, really don't think you have to retread everything from the original series right, in I, these new movies. Right, you know, and, you, and, I, and I hope that he's not, um, I, I hope that he's a new race, too. I don't, I don't necessarily want to just see him as 
Klingon villain number one. Well, definitely the possibility of him being a Klingon is very possible. So, right. but yeah, better if he was a different race, I think. But who knows? Now, if he, if they want to use him as a Romulan, that that I could get behind. <laughs> okay, well we'll no, see. I'm kidding. I just, yeah, I would like to see a new race, a completely new story, no retreading of of previous stories. Right. Cool. Truly go out there where no man has gone before. Exactly. And why not? You're you're finally officially on the on the five year mission. So, even though you were before. But now you can actually get out there further. So, right. I think the writing's pretty good in this this story arc so far. I'm kind of digging it. I mean, yeah, there's a few things that are kind of a stretch that we've already mentioned, but I think overall it's it's a pretty good, um, compelling uh, mirror universe story. I think. Yep. What do you think? I'm I'm pretty enjoying it. Yeah, I think some of the strategies that Evil Kirk is doing is pretty cool, pretty good. Um, I definitely like the idea of taking over the uh, Klingon ship. Although I gotta say, how are you so easily taking over that Klingon ship? I mean, wouldn't the Klingons kind of build it in with like, hey, you know, if you can remotely control the ship, we're gonna make it so it'd be difficult for Starfleet people to, to take over our ships. Well, it wasn't already kind of slaved to the Excelsior, so well, I, I don't, just I don't know, took over that. Well, how was it slaved? They had, they had it in tow. Oh, okay. I mean, they were using tractor beams to tow it along. Oh, were they? Okay. I think, I'm pretty sure they said that. So yeah, I, I, I was just surprised there was nobody on it. I think I would have still left a few people on it to... Um... Well, at least try to learn more about the ship. I mean, you know, obviously Kirk and Company learned something about the ship as they were taking it over and using it. But, yeah, at least try to learn more about it or something. I don't know. but Right, right. And I like how it is the total smugness of styles that does not even take into account the extra, the new information coming around, where Kirk is naturally, immediately saying, well, what's he doing with the communications beam? Uh, anyway, I thought that was good. I think they might they might over overplay Styles' arrogance, but yeah. I mean, when you only have Star Trek three to go off of, that is how he, how he was. Right, and aren't, didn't Styles come into some other comics we've done where he wasn't so much of a poophead? Right. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we've we've had him before, right. but this would be the this would be chronologically the first story he's been right, in. and he's definitely in poophead mode. So he is. Yes, he is indeed. All right, what else you got for this issue? I thought it was interesting how Bearclaw is sipping out of a sippy cup. A sippy cup. A sippy cup. So they're oh, sitting there in the space nice. station, relaxing, um, you know, him and Konam and, and, and the uh, the blonde crewman. I have no idea what her name is. Kind of relaxing and kind of like, it's good scene because you're saying, well, what happened to everybody? So at least you get to see they're on a space station. Okay, fine. Uh, and Bear Claw sipping out of a sippy cup. Uh, that, or, that or else it kind of looks like one of those uh, lab beaker kind of things. It does look like a lab beaker, yeah. So... Um, yeah, so if those of you that don't have the comic or maybe didn't notice it, I mean, it looks like a a bulb, bulbous kind of thing on the bottom, and then like a, an angular uh, thing coming up into uh, a point, and it looks like a lab beaker or something. Although I like to call it a sippy cup. 
<laughs> no, the the main question I had on that is why is Barclay and Konam sitting at the same table? So I know that they kind of put their differences behind them, but he didn't. He didn't say they were buddies. He said that I won't kill you. Right, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm going to have drinks with you during our off time. Well, and apparently they're jumping ahead to the point where, yeah, they are buddies. Right. So it's like, I agree with you, that's a bit of a leap, but they're obviously saying, hey, it happened. Yeah, so the last the last conversation we actually had them have was, he said, I'm not going to shake your hand, but I'm not going to try to cut it off. That, exactly. That, I think, I was his last line. <laughs> and then the next time we see A little thawing, a little thawing of hostilities. <laughs> Having drinks. That's right. They're crew members. You know, they're, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so they're he, watching they're, each other's back. So they're not going to explain why Kanam is now in a Starfleet uniform. It's just no. he and is. And get used to it. Get used to it. Exactly. Right. That's right. And what's his rank going to be? I certainly hope he's an ensign. Because if they plop him right in there as a lieutenant, I'm kind of wondering what's going on here. Yeah, but Ensign ba- Bearclaw and Ensign Bryce, I mean... They had to go through all Starfleet to get to this point. To even and get to it, that point. That's what, and okay. And here I'm, he comes in. I'm an insane. <laughs> I agree, but I'm I'm taking it further and saying he better be an ensign. Right. Oh, I agree. If they've, he's got anything more than that, then I am I am really not liking this. Even though he was pretty high ranked when he was on the Klingon ship, I mean, he was the navigator and things like that. So yeah, he was part of the bridge crew. But come on. So, so work experience crosses over. That's it's not it's not like carrying over your miles to a new frequent flyer program here. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, oh, okay. Here's so here's another one. So I I thought it was interesting how Evil Kirk and his crew have the pretty retro looking handguns and rifles. So they they look like a, almost like a Buck Rogers kind of style or uh, or a Gold Key kind of uh, style, but they're not Starfleet issue. I mean, normal, you know, a universe Starfleet issue. I mean, they got a ship that looks just like the Enterprise, our Enterprise. Uh, they got uniforms that look almost the same, but they got these very different looking um, uh, hand weapons. Phasers. Except for Kirk. He seems that uh, evil Kirk seems to have a normal phaser. Well, on the cover of this issue, which points to inconsistencies, on the cover of this issue, uh, where he's getting ready to hit Kirk, our right. good Kirk, he's definitely got a uh, Wrath of Khan style uh, phaser, although I'll tell it again, say it again, the front's too long, um, and he's getting ready to, to hit Kirk with it. Right. Yeah, I do agree. But then all the security guys, or the security guys, I should, I'm, I'm calling them stormtroopers. Right. Those guys have the retro pistols. So Agreed. Anyway, I thought it was odd. Yeah, but they're at the, in the last few panels of the book, uh, Kirk has his uh, Starfleet phaser. I agree. So I guess it's the assault weapons use the uh, Buck Rogers pistols. Right. right. Yes, they're very bulbous and... Little bits and stuff poking out. I kind of like it. Well, I like them. They they look cool. They almost look a little bit like a shorter barrel Princess Leia pistol. But 
I could see that. Sure. You know, a little, a little like it. A little. Uh, and that's all I have to say. That's it. That's it. That's all I have. What do you got? Uh, that's it for me as well. All right. All right. Well, then we'll jump into Star Trek Eleven. This is entitled New Frontiers, Chapter Three: Deadly Reflection. It came out February of '85. The writing and art staff is all the same. So the cover shows evil Spock and clean-shaven good Spock in a mind meld. And they're both really getting after it with some lightning and stuff coming off their fingers. So the story starts with evil Kirk smacking around a restrained good Kirk. The good Kirk tries to plead with the evil Spock, trying to figure out what happened after his visit 15 years ago and why Spock did not change the universe as he was planning to do. Evil Spock says that it was illogical to think one man could do all of that. All of the normal crew and the Excelsior crew are taken to the Excelsior's brig. En route, Kirk is able to trick one of the evil guards into thinking that he really is the Mirror Kirk, and this diversion is enough to cause a huge fistfight where all of the Mirror Universe guards are beaten by the Enterprise crew. The crew then pretend to be their Mirror counterparts and make their way to the transporter room, and then they beam over to the ISS Enterprise. Once there, Kirk is able to knock out the whole ship with intruder gas. Kirk makes his way to Evil Kirk's quarters to see about using the Tantius field. He is then attacked by Marlena. She is convinced that he is indeed the good Kirk after a passionate kiss. She tells him that she has been biding her time to take over the Enterprise since he left 15 years ago. As the crew of the real Enterprise is taking over the ISS Enterprise, the evil Kirk on the Excelsior realizes what's happening. As the Enterprise's engines engage, he orders Excelsior to fire. Meanwhile, evil Spock has taken the Klingon Bird of Prey to Vulcan to find out if they can extract the secrets of the Genesis device from the resurrected Spock. Upon landing... A confused Sarek and Amanda greet the ship, thinking that it's Kirk returning. Sulu shoots Sarek, Amanda, and the old Vulcan woman. Spock chastises him for his rash actions and uses the agonizer on him. Evil Spock eventually makes his way to the sleeping Spock. Seeing that he is not going to get any answers any other way, Evil Spock performs a mind meld. Once locked, good Spock starts to mind meld with him as well. The two are in a battle of the mind. Evil Spock speculates that Good Spock is trying to repair his own mind with that of his own. Evil Spock speculates that the Good Spock is trying to repair his mind at the cost of his own. On the Enterprise, Kirk wants Stiles to take a shuttle to a nearby starbase so that they can double their chances that someone will be able to alert Starfleet of this invasion. Styles protests, saying that he is the one in command here. Kirk then knocks him out, loads his body onto the shuttle, and sends it out on an automated course. The Excelsior and Enterprise have a quick firefight, and then the Enterprise tries to make a run for it. Evil Kirk sees no reason for delay, and he patches into the ISS Enterprise's computer and orders a self-destruct. On the Enterprise, Kirk learns that there's no way to turn off the countdown. 
to be continued. Quite a cliffhanger. Right, they only have 60 seconds. Exactly. So they've got the dual cliffhanger of the Enterprise about to blow up with the good crew on board and the mind meld fight between the evil and good Spock. Right. So what will happen? Oh, I can't wait. Ooh. Yeah. So these stories don't always have cliffhangers like this, but this one definitely has a dual cliffhanger. And it kind of stinks, because it's going to be a few issues until we get back to this. Or at least one issue. Right. Right. So, it's truly a cliffhanger. Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, overall, I really enjoyed this book. I liked the uh, the story, and it all seemed to flow logically. Yeah, I agree. With well, the exception for... of why everybody that came from the Mirror Universe is so stupid. <laughs> all the security guys. Right. And and some, some of the crew. They're dumb. I completely agree. Okay, so go ahead. No, you go ahead because you kind of alluded to it. I'll let well, you no, I mean, do it. I mean the bottom line is Good Kirk doesn't have the blue sash rather than the black belt. He doesn't have the sword emblem on the chest. He's got the standard emblem that we all know, the tunic badges. At least those two things should be tip-offs to these people that he's not the evil Kirk. Right. Hello. And they keep doing it. I mean, okay, you got one dumb security guy. Okay, maybe I can I can go with that. But they keep doing it. Right, yeah. It's, it's just that they were able to walk around the ship and make their way to the, to the transporter room, and nobody stopped them. Nobody else right. stopped them. Right. Yep. And, and the biggest, you know, yes, the Starfleet emblem's different, and yes, they don't have the sash, but the number one thing that should tip off any... Red blooded <laughs> guard is that all the women are very clothed. Yeah. Very clothed. <laughs> I think exactly. That, that would be the that's the most Good point. obvious change in their uniform. Exactly. That the women are wearing the same uniform as the men, and that would immediately say, "Hey, something's not quite right there." I don't yeah. care how stupid you are. Yeah. You're going to notice that. Yeah. They're not as hot looking. What's going on? Something's different. <laughs> yeah. Now we do know that some of the women do wear. The non-sexy uniforms. So we found that out when we noticed the opening shot of the evil Enterprise bridge. But definitely Ohura and Savik are in the sexy duds. Right. And evil Spock at least has the shoulder pistol. Does, does any of the other crew have? I don't think so. He's got the shoulder holster, right. Right. But luckily he's not in this picture, so... I mean, not in this right. little part. I was just wondering still. if any more of the bridge crew normally carried around a, a shoulder pistol like that. But I don't I don't think they do. I, I don't remember seeing that. Good thing. And also the fact that, you know, good Spock's not in the mix, too. Because obviously the clean-shaven face. <laughs> right. Right. I think this is a big mistake on page 12. Did you happen to notice it? A mistake on page 12? Page 12. Uh, no, I missed it. What? Okay. Oh, that Ahura looks like, what's her name? The... Well, it looks like Marlena. Marlena, right. And, yeah, so on the left part of the panel, you actually see Marlena. You know, pretty hot looking. She's in her sexy little duds, too. Um, and she's the right one, and she's over on the evil Enterprise. Then the next panel, right next to it, shows the Excelsior, and Kirk is ordering Ahura to do something, and 
a lovely lady acknowledges the order, and it's not Ahura. So, and it yeah. actually looks like Marlena. It looks like Marlena. Uh, yeah. So, it's like, whoops. <laughs> Something's wrong here. Yeah, um, I did notice that when I was reading it, but I had forgotten about it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting flow of the story where Kirk ends up back on his ship. Well, it's actually the ISS Enterprise, but it looks just like his ship. You know, Constitution class and everything that he destroyed, basically, knowingly. Didn't want to do it, but he did it. But he's back on his ship again, sort of. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Which Um, is now about to explode again, just like he did to Kirk. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's interesting how they keep on using these things. Right. Uh, You know, one big happy Starfleet. Okay, they reuse that. They reuse this. Yeah, well, taking over, yeah, taking over ships with the remote control thing. They reuse that. So, um, yeah. But still, it's a good story. I'm still digging it. Oh, I am too. But they are reusing a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. So... Reading this, thinking, uh, not knowing what's going to happen in Star Trek Four, not knowing what's going to happen later in the series itself. Mm-hmm. Reading this, I would think that, okay, so this storyline will end with Kirk, with this Enterprise. They'll send the evil people back in a shuttlecraft or something. And then Kirk will have an Enterprise again, and we'll continue on with you know the resurrected Spock, and everything's mm-hmm. going to be great. Right. So reading this, that's that's the way I'm envisioning the story will progress. Mm-hmm. Would you think the same thing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That would make sense. But of course, we know that isn't what happens. But yeah, that would that would be a logical scenario. Another logical scenario is that Kirk would have gotten an Excelsior class ship, but whatever. Right. But he, or he gets the Excelsior itself. You think? Uh, well, if Styles got killed, <laughs> but Styles is out of the picture now, so he's, I mean, assuming, assuming that Evil Kirk isn't able to come back and finish taking the station. Right. I'm kind of digging the Excelsior class ship. I mean, they're showing the two ships next to them, and it's just underscoring, even though it does have some bugs to work out, which apparently they, they worked them out pretty good. But uh, these Excelsior-class ships are a lot bigger and faster and better weaponry. Well, better weaponry than uh, than the Constitution-class. Right. I mean, it's based on a pretty old ship design, the Constitution-class, even with the uh, refit. Right, yeah, because it was supposed to be a really old ship back when Kirk first took command. Right. So... I get it, but the, the Enterprise looks so cool, and the Excelsior, I never liked... I never liked that look. Well, it isn't my favorite design, but I still like it. And, of course, Enterprise B was an Excelsior class, so right. there you go. Yeah, so out of all the uh, Enterprise designs, I, I think the Enterprise B is my least favorite. Yeah, well, that's, that's decent. I, I've never been crazy about the Ambassador class, so which is Enterprise C, So, but yeah. I know you like it. I do like it. I don't know why, but personal preferences. <laughs> cannot always be explained. I always thought the Enterprise B looked like if uh, the Enterprise A and the Enterprise D had a baby, it would be the Enterprise B. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool transition ship. Enterprise B. Uh, Enterprise A and Enterprise D. 
Well, I, I know I know you're saying that they came together to make the Enterprise B. Is that no, the Enterprise said, C. Right? No, I'm saying that the C always looked like a cross oh, between the Enterprise A and the Enterprise D. Like, like yeah, I that, agree. that's I agree. how you would think the transition from Enterprise to Enterprise would be. But then the right. but then the B is in there, and he looks so much different than any of the other ones. And I agree. It's just I like agree. it's like the black sheep of the family. <laughs> the the uh, Excelsior class? Or? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, that is kind of interesting how they went retro with the Ambassador class. But whatever. Well, at the time, they didn't know that the Enterprise B would be an Excelsior class. Because I don't think well, we but, knew, We didn't know that the but, B was Excelsior until Generations. Well, I, I agree, but... I agree, but I'm just talking about the progression of ship design. Right. So if you got the Constitution class, and then you go to Excelsior class, because we knew the Excelsior class was around before the Ambassador class. Right. And then you go and design the Ambassador class, but you make it look a lot more like the Constitution class. It's like, I mean, from a ship design standpoint, that doesn't make much sense. Except apparently they, they had a hankering for a Constitution class when they, when they created it. Right. So definitely Ambassador... In. Exactly. So Ambassador class definitely had Enterprise D nacelles, mm-hmm. but the rest of it, I agree, looks kind of Constitution class. Yeah. yeah, the the saucer section is really flat, like the Enterprise D. Right. Very flat, very round. I, I think the, it's completely round, isn't it? Uh, maybe I don't remember. But then the uh, the the engineering reminds me a lot of the Enterprise A. Right. I agree. I agree. And I have a, um, I have an ambassador class model here, and uh, it's pretty round. Yep. Anyway, like saucer it. section that is. Cool. Okay, but we digress. All right, we we'll are digressing big time. Yeah. So I gotta say, I'm not crazy about the reuses of some of the old ruses that's going on because there's a lot of space battles going on here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, really, so. Evil Kirk is chasing Good Kirk, and they're catching up on him, and then Good Kirk says, all stop! And then Evil Kirk passes by like an idiot, (laughs) and then Good Kirk says, attack! It's like, and then, you know, they got their back to him. It's like, really? Really? So Evil Kirk fell for that? Anyway, (laughs) it just seemed like, that's like the oldest trick in the book. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that when, when when it happened. I was like, you would think that they would have some sort of computer program to realize that that's happening and have counter <laughs> and react immediately built yeah. in. Or yeah, how about this? Oh, they just hit the brakes and went past us. Ultra course, hard to starboard. You know something. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, you know what's going to come next. It's Kirk. It's evil Kirk, but it's Kirk. Oh. I mean, especially when Kirk, Evil Kirk seems to be coming up with some pretty good strategies, right. despite some of them being kind of far-fetched. Still, I mean, obviously it's – these guys are both good. Anyway, whatever. So they do the, – the Mirror Universe do make comments about uh, how advanced the Excelsior class ship is and right. how advanced the Klingon ship is compared to yeah, I thought yeah their Federation and their uh, Klingon Empire had right. at that time. Right, and it got me to thinking. Your Enterprise looks exactly the same. Everybody keeps act- acting like it's exactly the same. And then why would everybody else, anything past that, be 
less advanced than what the Federation has or what our normal universe has. Just wh- why did well, their level of technology suddenly oh, slow down after the, their Enterprise was built? Yeah. Because they're on par with us up until that point, and then from that point on, we advanced on them somehow? Well, because Excelsior is the great experiment. Right. Didn't they say that in uh, well, three? What it's Enterprise. Yeah, three. Yeah. In three, they said that. So maybe they just hadn't made that big experiment yet. But the Klingon ship, too? Well, okay. Now, as far as the whole thing about the Klingon ship being advanced, it's like, really? Where'd you pull that out of? It's like, what? what why are you even... Why did they even inject that into the story? What, why are they... What benefit does it make the story? Does it justify something that happens? Why they think it's advanced? The, the Klingon ship. Right. I don't even know why they did it. And yes, it does seem harder to believe. And unless uh, I know that in the Deep Space Nine, the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes, yeah. they mention that the Klingons have been subjugated. And, oh no, the Klingons are one of the rulers of the universe, right? It's the humans that are subjugated. Oh, with that one, right? So uh, yeah, but yeah. In so the in Mirror the Mirror Universe, I know that Spock kind of doesn't he say Vulcans are kind of subservient to the humans. So maybe that oh, would yeah. explain why Vulcans aren't as advanced. But maybe Klingons are too? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It, it seemed random, and I didn't understand why Why you know, on one point they're on par with us, and then everything else, including other races, are, are lesser. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's that aggressive, human, nasty side that's able to... Uh... Build that big empire. But right. I don't know how they have to say that we're so advanced and everything in our good a good place. Although maybe what they're trying to say is a spirit of cooperation maybe breeds more innovation than uh, authoritarian uh, empire. But but still, know. they're on par with us up until a certain yeah. point. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, so I don't know. Yep. I don't know. So why does Sulu and is it Chekhov or just some random guy, you know, with with uh, with Spock on Vulcan? Why do they have tan jackets on? Why not? Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to mix it up a little bit, but <laughs> Spock he doesn't have a shoulder holster, by the way. But Spock's oh, right, in his doesn't. Spock's in his normal uniform. So okay, I just wondered because uh, Sulu, if you don't have the comic, has a brown jacket. You know, it looks like kind of like a bomber jacket kind of thing, a, a fabric kind of thing. Right. Uh, I, I just, okay. Just wondering. Uh, good point. And as far as who that other guy is, uh, for whatever reason, I was thinking that it was Bearclaw when I was reading oh, it. Oh. Okay. And I was thinking, oh, that's cool that they're going to have mirror universes of people that we've, that we've only been introduced through the books. But, right. Uh, you know, he could be Chekhov, I don't know. But when hey, I was I reading it, I was thinking he was Bearclaw, but who knows. Right. And it's never referred to. Oh, no. Actually, it is Chekhov. Is it? Okay. I, I missed that, but there is a spot where Spock is saying, I suggest you learn to curb that tendency in the future. And he's saying that to Sula with the agonizer on. Right. Uh, Mr. Chekhov, 
you will repeat the process upon uh, his awakening. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't look that much. I mean, it's always from a distance. You don't really see him that well. Um, maybe he's Chekhov. Maybe he isn't. But yeah, I guess so. I guess we should pay more attention when we're reading these things. I guess so. <laughs> so at this point in the story, will you figure maybe Spock's going to end up being the weak link? Again, that good Kirk can exploit in the next issue to wrap this thing up? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking that maybe, you know, uh, Marlena says that she's part of a rebellion. And I keep Oh, thinking, yeah. Yep. I keep thinking, well, maybe Spock really is, you know... Part of that part rebellion? Of this rebellion, but he, he, he just, he too hasn't, because Marlena never says who she works for. No. But she does act like she's part of something bigger than her. Right. And uh, I keep thinking that it is Spock. But, right. But he is, you know, what we see, it looks like he is trying to hurt our Spock, so maybe he's not, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it all makes a lot of sense, buddy. So Spock is still on his trajectory to subvert the Empire, but hey, it's one guy. It's taking time. Right. It's not going to happen overnight. uh, Why would Marlena still be there 15 years later? Yep. Still in Kirk's quarters. Still pretending to be his lover, but really plotting against him. Right. Anyway. Okay, well, really, that's... uh, I think that's it. Yes. Indeed. That's it. I'm looking forward to finding out what happens. Right. But, oh, I gotta wait! You're gonna have to wait! Ah! So what's happening next week? Uh, so we're going to uh, go back to IDW ongoing and finish off, what is it, Eurydice? Yeah, yeah. Storyline, and then kick off the Tholian webs. Yes! Webs, you say correct? Webs? What's the webs about? Why is the S there? I'm assuming there's more than one. Hmm. That's usually what the S means. Usually. (laughs) So we had a new character we never saw before, Eurydice and the whole scenario they've got painted there which is cool but now we're going to go back to a little retread uh storyline so potentially yeah we'll see well obviously yeah, right well it's going to be the tholians are going to be involved so right and maybe one or two of their webs so we'll see exactly what they do with leveraging that existing villain race right so that's what we'll be doing next week so uh put away your volume one cd for a while <laughs> exactly Okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.